Well, this morning, uh, we want to look at Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47. And uh, I'll explain to you why we want to look at that here in a moment. Let's just look at this passage. I will read it out loud. You are fully capable to read it with me silently as I read it out loud, and I'll have it on here. So let's see what this passage says. Remember, this is at the very beginning of Acts. Jesus has just risen from the dead. He's gone, ascended to be with the Father. He has, uh, they've, they've experienced the day of Pentecost, uh, which totally blew the minds of everybody in Jerusalem. And now this is reflecting upon what was happening in the context of God's people as he was drawing them together as this new entity called the church. The church simply means the called out ones, those who are followers of Jesus. And this passage says, they, that is those who are involved in the church, devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, and they devoted themselves to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayers, the prayers, and awe came upon every soul. Now, we're not sure if that awe on every soul means just the people in the church or even the people in Jerusalem themselves. But there was an amazement about what was happening. And many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. All who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes... They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Now let's just pray together for a minute. Father in heaven, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation that we have on your scriptures together would be acceptable before you, that you would guide us and direct us by your Holy Spirit, and meet us in a very personal way, even as we reflect on this passage of Scripture from Acts. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it's an interesting time of the year. Uh, the, The beginning of the school year is one of those marker times during the year that we do some evaluation. You know, as you think about your kids going back to school and going back to college or going back to teach or whatever, just this time of the year, we usually take time to evaluate. And we put, I put a calendar down here next to it because for a lot of people, this time of the year is the time they're thinking about what this, this next year is going to look like. Uh, I've talked to three or four people just this last week, and what they've said is, you know, as we're getting ready for the school and we're getting ready for this fall gearing up, we're talking about our calendars. And so this is kind of a time of evaluation of where are we going, where have we been, where are we going, what are we going to be doing over the next three months, six months, nine months. Now, that's one of the marker times of evaluation. Another time of evaluation is when we get our checkups. You know, we go for our physical checkups or our dental checkup, and that's kind of a time to see how we're doing physically and, you know, what the impact that the doctor's conversation with us has on our exercise and our health and our eating and things like that. It's a time of evaluation physically. Then, of course, every year at April 15th, we have this delightful time when um, click, thank you, wrong way, click, there we go. There we go, yes, April 15th. For most of us, April 15th is a time when we have to do a, a fiscal evaluation, isn't it? We have to take time to review and understand where we stand financially, 
and consider where we've been. Have we been deducting enough for our taxes? All that good kind of stuff. It's a time of evaluation. <clears throat> so I was thinking as we are entering into this, coming into the new school year, and we look at these various times of evaluation, that we need time, oops, back again here, we need time to consider spiritual evaluation. What are things going on in our lives spiritually that we need to review? And what do we need to be doing? Plans we need to be making, changes or goals that we need to be establishing over this, to consider this next year. Now, in order to do that, Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47 is a great passage because it focuses on what I would call spiritual life vital signs. You know, when you go to the doctor, they're going to check your blood pressure. They're going to take your blood. They're going to look over things and check out all these various vital signs. And this passage outlines for us, I think, four key vital signs that we need to use to evaluate our spiritual life. Uh, the first of these is worship. Uh, the need for us to be involved in seeing worship as a key aspect or part of our life. The second one is instruction, learning about God and what he's teaching us in his scriptures and how that applies to our life. The third one is fellowship, the need for us to have authentic and important relationships like BP has this weekend where there are people who speak into our lives, people who, with whom we can share our lives, people who will come alongside of us and encourage us when we need that as well. And then finally, engagement. The scriptures constantly talk about the fact that we need to take our faith into the workplace take our faith out into the world, and engage the world with our beliefs, our convictions. And you can see, if you perceive this a little bit, that that actually forms an interesting acrostic wife. Worship instruction, fellowship, and engagement. I'm going to suggest to you that these come right out of, the, of Acts chapter 2, verses 42 to 47, and that they give us an outline of a way to evaluate how we're doing, where we've been, where we need to be going, as we consider our spiritual lives. So what we're going to do is just take each one of these, starting with worship. Where do you see that in the passage, Bob? Well, at least in these verses, they devoted themselves, it says, the, 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 the people of God devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to, the, and to the prayers. Now, this could either mean the meals they shared together in their homes, but also, and most likely, it also means sharing together in the Lord's Supper which is one critical aspect of worship together, and then praying together as a fellowship. Now, obviously, prayer is important individually, but it's also important for us to be praying together and supporting and encouraging each other. Also, the passage says, day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. So again, gathering together to worship together and, uh, and, and sharing the Lord's table together, and then together breaking bread in their homes, which mean, means the fellowship over, overlapped into their families. And then just that short little passage, praising God in verse 47, which gives us an indication of more of a personal worship, which draws us into discussion just for a moment about worship in our own spiritual lives, what we do and how we do that. Now, I'd like to suggest to you that this passage and many other passages say to us that we need to have both personal worship and corporate worship. Personal worship means establishing and maintaining my own personal relationship with Jesus. It means meeting together with him, preferably on a daily basis, but on a regular basis, where I learn to worship him for who he is, to pour my heart out before him, 
to pray about the needs and the concerns that I have, and to be renewed by his Holy Spirit in my life. We find this is really important in Jesus's life. In Mark, it says, Mark chapter 1, verse 35, that rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus departed and went to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, made time for personal worship and communion with God. And this is important for us. But also there's corporate worship, the gathering together with God's people, to worship together, to hear other people singing out, to be lifted up in praise together with all God's people, to hear God's word together and to, and to talk together about what it means to follow him. It says in Hebrews chapter, 20, uh, chapter 10, let us consider how to stir one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. No comment about Saturday nights and Sunday mornings. Uh, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So these two aspects, personal worship and corporate worship, need to be evaluated as we consider our spiritual life. How are we to evaluate these things? Well, I'd like to suggest a number of ways to evaluate this in making space for worship. The first thing I think we need to consider is time. When are we going to do this? Now, I know Jesus woke up early in the morning and he went out to a solitary place to pray. We also have passage of him going out praying late at night. We can see passages of him praying during the day. There's no right time to have personal worship. What is right is to have time for personal worship. Some of us are wired where our brains just don't function early in the morning. And so we need to get up and get going, have five or six cups of coffee, you know, to get things going, and perhaps in the morning, perhaps at noon, perhaps later on in the day or in the evening. What we need to do is think about when is the time that we are going to personally worship. Obviously also is carving out the time to worship together corporately and to be thinking about that uh, and to be considering that in our schedules. So time is an important aspect. Location. This may seem like a small thing, but, you know, throughout the history of God's people, the location of worship has always been an important thing. Location, for example, coming together in the same place every Sunday to worship together. It says in that passage that they went to the temple. God's people have always set aside places for worship. But that's just as true individually as it is corporately. Having a special place or a number of places where we set aside to worship God on a regular basis, to know that that's a place where we can go and not be disturbed, to know that when people know that when we are there, that that's not a time for us to be disturbed. And that can happen in a cubicle in the library. That can happen in an office area. That can happen in your home. Heck, when I was a student my first two years uh, in college, I was at Virginia Military Institute in Lexington, Virginia. And my first year there, there was no place of safety for, for me. I mean, you know, we called ourselves rats. They call them plebes in other places. Regardless of what you call them, the first-year students in military schools are the lowest form of humanity, okay? And you couldn't go anywhere without having upperclassmen breathing down your neck, except, you guessed it, the bathroom. 
And you could go into the bathroom and close that stall door, and nobody would disturb you for a few brief and shining moments. Well, that's where I would go to have my time with Jesus. I would just go in there. I had a little pocket Bible. I closed that door. I sat down on the throne, spent time with Jesus and prayed. Nobody's going to touch me here. You never heard of Susanna Wesley? Susanna Wesley was John Wesley's mother. She had a bunch of kids. They had small homes. Moms, you know what it's like, don't you? You know what she would do for her devotions? She put a chair down in the middle of the room, the big living room area. She took her apron and she pulled her apron over her head. And her kids knew that when that apron was over her head, you don't talk to or mess with mom. Location. We need to consider where are we going to go to meet with God. The third thing is uh, pattern. That means thinking ahead of time about what we're going to do when we're worshiping. Now, we come here on Sunday morning, and David Slade and BP and I have done all the work for you. I mean, you probably don't even see a pattern happening here, but there actually is a very thoughtful pattern in what takes place on Sunday mornings. Adoration at the beginning of the worship service, prayer together, a time of singing, confession, importance to take time to confess, and and then after confession to reflect on the forgiveness and the love of God, to pray together and to think about our needs and to pray pastorally for one another about what's what's happening in the church, to hear God's word, and then to, to respond to that word, and then to finally have a benediction at the end. All those are important aspects. Well, you can build those kinds of things into your own personal worship. And there's a myriad of ways to do this. Some people use Bible reading programs where they go through the Bible in once every three years or once every year. There's, there's a, a daily prayer guides that you can use. Uh, there's, there's traditional liturgies that you can lean on. Uh, the Book of Common Prayer is used by many people. There's so many different things. And if you're ever exploring this and want to have help, I know David, I know I, I know BP, other elders, we'd we'd love to sit down with you for a while and talk with you about how to develop a pattern for personal worship. But the important thing is for us to think ahead of time, not just to kind of go in and do the whosoever will with the Bible, you know, kind of, okay, Lord, now leave me today, you know, wherever it is, but to thoughtfully consider what our worship is going to be. A real model of this for me when I was growing up was Dr. Richard C. Halverson. He was my pastor when I was growing up. And I can remember talking to friends. One friend of mine once had an appointment with Dr. Halverson. And he pulled into the church parking lot. And he pulled into a a parking space right next to Dr. Halverson's car. He looked over and he saw Dr. Halverson. He was going to give him a little wave, but he saw that Dick Halverson was doing something. He realized that Dick was sitting there with his Bible And he was reading through some things, and he was reflecting on the Scriptures, and he was praying. And then he saw Dick Alverson look at his watch and say, oh, yeah, I remember I have this appointment. And he got up out of his car and went in to have an appointment with the guy sitting next to him. But but my friend said, I was so impressed to see Dr. Halverson just making sure he was carving out the time necessary. When I was at at his uh, funeral, one of Dick's friends talked about the fact that they would go down town to, to the Capitol for the, the prayer breakfasts at the Capitol, and he would go and sometimes pick Dick up. And he said, one morning I went there and I saw a light on in Dick's study, 
He said, instead of ringing the bell, I went over and looked inside the study, and I saw Dick in there on his knees praying. And there was a globe there that he had that he would use to pray over the world and thinking about what was happening in the world. And he said, I was just so impressed that knowing that Dick was taking the time to worship God in his regular schedule. One time I heard Dick Halverson say this, nothing transforms a life more than a personal worship plan. So can I encourage you this week or in the next couple of weeks to take time to review where worship fits into your own life and schedule and to make time to do that at a unique location with a specific plan? Worship. Next area to look at is instruction. The Scriptures say they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. That means they spent time learning about the Scriptures. Now, we see this many places in the Bible. I want to point out three illustrations of where we see this in the Scripture. First, with Moses. Moses wrote Deuteronomy at the end of his ministry. Deuteronomy literally means the second law or the second reading of the law. It's the second time Moses wrote the law down. He wanted to give the the Word of God to the people of God before he left them. And to do that, he wrote Deuteronomy. Now, the first few chapters of Deuteronomy, he is repeating for them the covenant promises that God's made, their obligations to that, the Ten Commandments, and a little bit of the history of what they've been through. Right after he was finished with that, up front, before anything else, he would say, he said this to the people of God. He said, these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you sit in your house. When you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise up, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets on your eyes. You shall even write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. You get the idea? Moses is saying, I want you to reflect on, to think about, to ponder, to study, and to understand these words that I have given to you from God. Then, when Moses passed away, The ministry of leading Israel was given to Joshua. At the very beginning, after taking on that responsibility, God himself spoke to Joshua. And at the beginning of his leadership, he said this, This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. Joshua, as you take on this huge responsibility... Become a man of the Scriptures. That is going to give you the guidance and the wisdom you need to walk in this responsibility. And then the Apostle Paul. The Apostle Paul in 2 Timothy was at the very end of his ministry. And he had been involved, as you know, through missionary journeys and sharing the gospel throughout the known world at that time. Now, in the midst of that, he also spent time building up new leadership that would come behind him. Timothy was one of the key guys that he poured his life into. Now, Paul is writing Timothy, who has his own responsibility. Timothy now is leading in a church, the church of Ephesus. And Paul is most likely in prison or just out of prison, but going to be going back to prison. He's at the very end of his life. At the end of Second Timothy, he talks about the fact this is the end of the road for me as far as my earthly ministry. So he's writing to Timothy, and he's saying, Timothy, now these are things I want you to remember as I leave you. 
I want you to remember to continue to learn, to, to continue in what you have learned and you have firmly believed, knowing from whom you have learned it and how from childhood you've been acquainted with the sacred writings. By the way, moms and dads, boy, what a tremendous charge that is, that Timothy grew up in a home where the Word of God was discussed, like Deuteronomy 6 says. And it says, you've, you've been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. He says, all Scripture is breathed by God and profitable, get this, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent, equipped for every good work. Another translation says that the Word of God is the comprehensive equipment necessary to do God's will. What a tremendous call from Moses and Joshua and and Paul to us that we should make instruction in the Scriptures a critical part of our daily life. How do we do this? Well, I'm going to suggest that besides personal worship and individual time of study, that part of our responsibility as a church is to provide vehicles for you to study the Scriptures, to understand them, and to encourage one another and to grow in Christ. Now, two ways that we are doing this, two ways that we've been brainstorming as, as a leadership and thinking, how can we help the folks at Seven Hills to grow in this area? One is in small groups and the others in seminars. We're going to be talking more with you about small groups over the next few weeks. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time in that except to say that some of you have been involved in groups for a long time, and we're going to, we applaud that and we're excited about those. But we're going to be involved also in starting some new groups so that we can make them as available as possible to as many people in Seven Hills as we can. Because we believe that having, being involved in a small group where we study the Scriptures, where we pray for one another and encourage one another, is one of the most important ways for us to be stimulated in our walk with Christ. So again, we'll be talking more about that over the next few weeks. Seminars. We're, we've planned three seminars for this next year to provide you opportunities to think about how the Scriptures lead us to grow and change. And one of those seminars is coming up, we, as we made in the announcements, is coming up here at the beginning of, of September. It's called the To Be Known Seminar, and I've already told you that you can pick up one of these flyers describing it over here outside of the nursery. Now, let me just say this. Seven Hills hasn't been promoting a lot of seminars over the years. So once you begin doing something like this, it's kind of a new thing for people to get adjusted to. And some people say, oh, I don't know if I want to do that. Yeah, maybe I do. I don't, I'm not so sure. I understand that. I just want you to know that this is going to be one of the most unique opportunities that we've ever had here in the church. First of all, Jim Cofield is a phenomenal speaker. I, I'd never known that much about Jim. I've met him once or twice. But I was down in Atlanta a few weeks ago talking with some folks from a Reform Seminary who are in Atlanta. And I was talking to this one person. I said, hey, Jim Cofield from Reformed in Orlando is going to be coming up to Seven Hills. He said, really? Jim Cofield is, if he's not the most popular, he is he's one of the most popular professors we have. He said, when he comes up here, everybody wants to get into class with him because he's so good said, wow, that's really, really encouraging. Then I was talking to another person here in Seven Hills who has friends up at Lookout Mountain in Tennessee. 
And she said, I talked to some friends about Jim Cofield coming here. Do you know that Lookout Mountain Prez asks Jim Cofield to come to their church at least once a year? And everybody loves it when he comes, and it's just packed. As a matter of fact, when my friends found out he's coming to Seven Hills, they asked me if they can come down here to the seminar. And then I was talking with another person just yesterday, and they said, Jim Cofield? You're going to get Jim Cofield to come to Seven Hills? Now, I'm just saying that because most of you are like me and didn't know who he was. And I'm letting you know that there are people all over the place who are saying, this guy is really something. And I learned something else this last week. I was talking to some friends in St. Louis, and they're from a particular church that had a guy named Dan Allender come into their church. And he did a seminar for him Friday night over Saturday. You know how much they paid per person to go to that seminar with Dan Allender? $150 a person. And they packed the place out. Now, I happen to know that Jim Cofield and Dan Allender are, we're talking the same ballpark here, okay, the same kind of people. 25 bucks a person for a, a Friday night over Saturday seminar, including food and snacks and everything else involved, is a steal. But the reason it's that price is because the leadership of the church has said, we want to do everything we can to get anybody possible into this seminar. We'll even provide subsidies for child care for Friday night and free child care on Saturday morning for people to come. Enough said. You feel like you're in an advertisement. I'm sorry. I'm just telling you I'm excited about this guy and about what this seminar could mean for us. Instruction is a critical part of growing in Christ. Worship, instruction. The third area is fellowship. The passage says they devoted themselves to fellowship. All who believed were together and had all things in common. They were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing their proceeds to all as they had need. And by the way, that was voluntary. That wasn't required. Okay, we're not talking communism here. We're talking a voluntary giving of themselves Day by day, breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts. Fellowship. What is fellowship? What is biblical fellowship? Well, some people think that fellowship is coffee. We have great coffee here. Praise God for, seven, for, uh, for Swift and Finch. Man, I can't tell you how much bad coffee I've had in churches over the years. But conversation around coffee, about work, movies, sports, and stuff... I love it. Do it. But that's not biblical fellowship. That's hanging out together. That's great. There's nothing wrong with it. That's not how the Bible describes fellowship. Fellowship, according to the Scriptures, begins with having a mutual relationship with Jesus Christ. It means when we're having fellowship, we are sharing our mutual love and relationship. We literally are brothers and sisters. Now, Janet and I, about this time last year, a little bit later in September last year, had a huge privilege. We went with my brother and his wife on a cruise up to Canada and New England, and we had a blast. And, of course, on the cruise ship, one of the things you always have on the cruise ship is every night there's entertainment, right? You know, they bring in different people from jugglers to everything else. They always have a comedian. And you never know exactly what you're going to get with these comedians, you know. Sometimes it can be a little weak. Sometimes, you know, off-color, different things. We really enjoyed the comedian. He was there for the, the second night on the cruise. And the next morning, my wife and I are having breakfast, and we're having a little bit late, and we decide we're not going to hang out in the place where everybody else is eating. 
because they opened up their other restaurants on the cruise ship where you can just kind of kind of go and hide. And so we went in, into this place and we're having breakfast together and just kind of enjoying. And who walks in to the same place to eat but the comedian? But he's just walking in with his tray of food and he's got some books underneath the tray, you know, and he sits down and I'm looking over there. And my wife and I said, I think one of those books is a Bible. And she said, you're kidding. And I said, no, it looks like, I mean, not just a, we're talking a, a major Bible here, you know. So, so I said, I'll, you know, I'll, I'll go get some more coffee. So I went to get some coffee, walking over there, you know, kind of in one of these things, you know, checking them out. You know, he had it open to the book of Romans. It was marked up. There was pens marking notes and all kinds of stuff in there, you know. And I went and got my coffee and I came back and I said, who would have guessed that the comedian on board the ship is my brother in Christ? And he looked up at me and he said, I sure am. And we started talking together and we spent time interacting together and found out all kinds of things that we shared in common because we're in Christ. Fellowship begins with a mutual relationship with Christ, but it goes beyond that. John in 1 John says this, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. What he's saying there is, it's not just being in Christ, but it's growing in Christ. It's having a relationship with Jesus where we are experiencing the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, where he shows us sin and our sin, God's righteousness, and his judgment. And as the Holy Spirit works in our lives, and as we confess our sins, as we walk in the light, that means the Holy Spirit becomes a floodlight in our lives. As we walk in the light, as we confess our sins for him, the blood of Jesus cleanses us, and we are living in renewal in his spirit day by day. And the scriptures would teach us that the deepest fellowship we can have is fellowship where we're living in that kind of renewal, and we're sharing that with one another. You know, I've had relationship with friends who are Christians over the years, and I've noticed that when something is going wrong in, in one of our walks with Christ, we're not walking in the light, we're not living in that openness before the, before the Lord, it impacts our capacity to have fellowship with each other because we're hiding things, because we're holding things in. But when we walk in the light, we have fellowship with one another in the blood of Jesus. And it's a wonderful thing. Fellowship is a critical thing for us to be having Small groups is one way to do that. Many other ways, Sunday morning, other times, but we need one another. Worship, instruction, fellowship. And then finally, the last one is engagement. It's clear that in this passage, as well as in other places in the Scripture, that as the people of God are worshiping and receiving an understanding of His Word and fellowshipping with each other, <clears throat> that they don't just become a holy huddle. They begin reaching out in broader capacities, living their faith on a day-to-day -day basis. Awe came upon every soul, it says. Many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. There was favor with all the people, and the Lord added to their number, day by day, those who were being saved. The passage points out at least a, a number of things as far as engagement goes. The first thing it says, there's a financial engagement. When we come to Christ, God begins to touch us and to deal with us and to challenge us on our finances, that all we have is from him and that we need to dedicate those things to him, what we give as well as what we keep. And we saw that in the passage where they were selling their, their land and other possessions to make sure that their brothers and sisters were taken care of. 
Which brings us to the second area, mercy and care. Care for God's people and care for those outside. The scriptures and the history of the church are full of examples of the church sacrificially giving in mercy and care to the watching world. Do you know that when a major plague came to Rome and all the people were scattering from Rome, the Christians stayed there and ministered to the people. And the church blew up exponentially because of the care and compassion the church gave. And God's called us to be that church to the, to the city of Rome. That's one of the reasons why, again, as I've considered coming here, when I saw that the primary mission of this church was to see the, the invisible kingdom of God become visible in Rome, Georgia, I, saw, I thought, wow, this is a church that's really seeking to understand what does it mean to engage the people of God engaging the world for Christ's sake. Now, beyond mercy and care, there's the vocational area. That means the work that we do between Sundays as in our community, in our jobs, the work that we do in our homes, in our neighborhoods, all those become avenues to be representatives of Jesus Christ. Paul says in Colossians, whatever you do, Work heartily is for the Lord and not for men. Yeah, that even includes changing diapers. Do it in Jesus' name, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. So whether it's mowing your yard or driving responsibly on Broad Street or interacting with people at the, at the, uh, at the uh, mail store or at the post office, or interacting with people at work, in all those contexts, we are called to be followers of Jesus Christ. And by the way, we're going to be having another seminar later in October where we're just going to be on Friday, uh, Sunday night just to sit around and talk about what does it mean to walk with Christ in our vocations. Okay? Uh, another area, the supernatural. Did you notice that it said signs and wonders were taking place? Now, we can't define how God is supposed to act. But again and again we find that as God's people are worshiping him and engaged in following him, that God just does things that blows their minds. And we should expect to see God actively involved with us in these ways. Then finally, outreach. At the end of the passage it says, as they were worshiping, experiencing instruction, fellowshipping together, and learning to share their faith together in the, in the broader world, that God brought people to himself. And this is the greatest miracle of all, to see people come to have their eyes opened to spiritual realities, the darkness taken away and seeing the light and beginning to walk with Jesus themselves. And God's people then becoming experts not only in, in, in obstetrics, but also in pediatrics and seeing people learn to walk and grow with Jesus. So, Time to evaluate our spiritual life. Four areas to do it in. Worship, instruction, fellowship, and engagement. Again, this coming week. Tomorrow morning, I have to wake up early in the morning. I'm going over and getting blood drawn because, yes, it's that time for me to have my physical. And I'm going to be doing evaluation and considering what do I need to do and how do I need to change to be responsible with the body God's given me. Well, 
I challenge you as well and encourage you to consider this week, or at least within the next two weeks, consider your spiritual life. Review these areas and what you're doing to grow and change to become more like Jesus. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the scriptures which show us what it means to walk and to follow you. Father, I pray that as all of us evaluate our lives, how we're spending our time, how we're utilizing our resources, who we're hanging out with, where we're going. I pray, Father in heaven, that you would allow us to use this simple acrostic of wife to evaluate our spiritual lives and to do the things that you call us to do to be fully growing, developing disciples of Jesus Christ. I pray this in Jesus' name and plead with your Holy Spirit to help us. Amen.